The Giants can't quite sweep the Royals this afternoon. The Bats stay quiet, which is actually kind of surprisingly something that happened this entire homestand, even though they went 6-3 and three overall on the homestand. So we'll break down the good, the bad, and the ugly next. You are Locked On Giants, your daily San Francisco Giants podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to Locked on Giants, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. My name is Ben Kaspik, and on the show, we provide daily episodes Monday through Friday, talking about the San Francisco Giants in a way that's data-driven and rational, but also simple, passionate, and accessible to all. I'm a former contributor for the baseball statistics and analysis websites, Beyond the Box Score, and Rotographs. I've been podcasting about the Giants since 2015, and I'm a lifelong fan. Thank you for making Locked on Giants your first listen every day. We're free and available wherever you get podcasts. And coming up on today's show, unfortunately, unfortunately, we don't get to talk about another sweep. The Giants' bats were just kind of nowhere to be found in this game today as the Royals salvaged a game. In the series, the Giants' defense sloppy in the first inning, and it was too much to overcome, which really shouldn't happen. This is a team in the Royals. I mean, you hold them to three runs in the game, and you should win that game. The Giants only able to get two runs. So this is surprisingly, in a way, right, because they had such a good homestand, the Giants actually did not have a good offensive homestand at all. And so in a lot of ways, you feel... Like they're fortunate to have had a six and three homestand. But at the same time, the hitting on the whole on the season has been a strength. And they're among the league leaders in runs per game. They're they've kind of fallen in weighted runs created plus, just as an overall overarching number that isn't just about runs. It's about kind of the underlying numbers behind the runs. So we'll talk about all of that. But what did happen on this homestand is that they pitched and played better defense, which is something that we just did not see with consistency for much of the first third of the season. So that's great in a lot of ways that the pitching has kind of come around. But at the same time, it's unfortunate that the bats have gone a little bit quiet. So they're not playing necessarily their best baseball right now. And you're facing a team in the Royals that you really should be putting up at least your season averages five runs a game or so and they did for the first two games they averaged five runs they got six and then four and today two so ultimately what is that 12 so four runs a game in the series so they got close but uh, today only two runs and they just needed two more and then in the the first inning the defense there was a play that Honestly, I can't quite explain why Mike Yastrzemski didn't really go after the ball as hard as he could have. I think, you know, as a former outfielder myself, what it looked like to me was that he the ball was kind of tailing away from him and towards the right fielder, Luis Gonzalez. And it looked like Yastrzemski just kind of assumed that Gonzalez was going to be able to get there instead of going hard after it himself, which is a little bit counterintuitive counterintuitive as a center fielder when the ball's tailing away from you and you're worried about a collision you just kind of think that the guy who it's tailing towards might be the guy who ultimately makes the play but it looked like Yastrzemski just kind of made that assumption without you still want to go hard after the ball and if you 
you could say you, 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 if you don't think you can catch it. But to me, it was a catchable ball, but he just kind of drifted in the direction of it. And then it just fell. And if he had been running hard, it looked like he would have been able to get there. So it fell. And that was a big play. It turned out to be a double and there was already a runner on base. So the runner on first actually wasn't able to get a good jump because he too thought it was a catchable ball. So it ended up runners on second and third with one out. And then was it a pop-up? I think it was a pop-up that Sam Long was able to get. So it looked like the Giants might be able to get out of that inning, kind of navigating around the defensive misplay that won't get charged as an error, but was a defensive misplay. I want to get to fielding percentage and just the irrelevance of fielding percentage because there was a graphic shown in the game last night and I made a comment on Twitter about how catcher fielding percentage is one of the least relevant statistics that I can think of. Well, that was an example for Yastrzemski. It doesn't show up in fielding percentage, but it was a big play in a defensive miscue. I'd like to hear what he has to say about it. I'm sure I don't think I didn't see anybody else comment on that in terms of the reporters. I'm not there asking him questions, so I'm not sure we'll ever get an answer from him about what happened. Because if he just says, look, I was running as hard as I could and I couldn't get there. That's not what it looked like, but I'd be interested to see what he has to say. Because my point is that I think he would probably tell you he should have caught that ball. So we'll see if anything comes out about that. But anyway, Giants looked like they might get out of that inning. And then with two outs, there's kind of a tough ground ball, which is something we, it, it disappeared for a little while, but now we've seen it a little bit rear its ugly head again. Kind of an in-betweener ground ball for Crawford where it's not right to him. It's kind of slowly hit, so he has to charge it, and he has to range far to his left. And it took a bad hop, yes, but that's a play he needs to make as well. And it kicked off his glove, and it kicked far enough away that it obviously allowed the guy from third to score on the play with two outs. But it also allowed the runner from second base... Bobby Witt Jr., who's like the fastest guy in baseball, he was able to score as well, running through a stop sign. Overly aggressive stop sign, I might add, with a miserable Royals offense combined with the fact that there were two outs and he's the fastest guy in the game. That is an automatic send. But they held him up, thankfully for the Royals, not thankfully for the Giants. He ran through the stop sign and scored easily. And so that was 2 nothing, and the Giants couldn't best that all game. That was it. And so, unfortunately, it was kind of a return of the ugliness, so, kind of like the game in Colorado, the, the third game of that series. So the less we see of that, the better for the San Francisco Giants. But we have seen the defense show up in that way and just kind of weird. They weren't hits. I mean, I guess the one that Yastrzemski didn't catch is technically a weird hit because it's a ball that should have been caught. So, yes, the defense plays a role in the pitching not necessarily quite living up to expectations. But overall, on this homestand, it's hard for me to get too negative when we just take a step back. If you would have told me when the homestand started that the Giants would go 6-3, and three, that they would sweep LA, I would 100% take that. I mean, just forget sweeping LA or not. 6-3 and three on the homestand, that is winning every single series, in theory. You lost the series to the Rockies. That's the one that kind of got away you got to win that series, but then you sweep the Dodgers, so that makes up for it. So anyway, uh, turning the page, I want to talk a little bit about some of what we saw in last night's game. We'll talk about that catcher fielding percentage thing. And then also, how about the throw from Luis Gonzalez nailing a runner at home in the second game of the series? It was a huge play in that game with Logan Webb on the mound. So we'll talk about that in just a second. 
But first, whether you're ready to pop the question or you're celebrating a milestone moment, find jewelry as unique as her with the modern convenience of online shopping at BlueNile.com. Looking for fine jewelry but having trouble choosing? Blue Nile has jewelry experts on hand 24-7 available via phone or chat to help you find a memorable gift at every budget. To me, this is the future, not being able to go, not being required to go into a store and deal with perhaps a little bit more pressure than you would get online. Instead, you can do these major things like find fine jewelry online now at BlueNile.com. So make your moment sparkle with jewelry from BlueNile.com and Locked on Giants listeners. Get $50 off purchases of $500 or more. This podcast exclusive includes engagement. Use code locked on. That's code locked on. Plus, every order is insured, ships free, and arrives in discreet packaging that won't give away what's inside. Shop stress free and find your forever peace. Go to bluenile.com today. All right. As promised, we're going to talk about some of the positives from the second game of the series because we didn't really get a chance to talk about it. We didn't, this is our podcast podcast for Wednesday. And so we didn't do a reaction to yesterday's game. So we're going to get you caught up on some of that and also ultimately get to some injury updates there. They continue to happen and there's another roster crunch that's looming. So we'll set the stage for that. The ultimate NBA mock draft starts June 16th. That's tomorrow with over 50 insiders. Nothing equals the ultimate NBA mock draft. The Locked On NBA Big Board draft experts plus the Odyssey insiders. First pick is June 16th. Search ultimate NBA mock draft and follow now so you don't miss a pick. So yeah, there was a lot of positives that came out of the second game of the series. I do just want to talk about a couple of fun notes just I, I want to say like to educate, but that's not that's a little bit conceited. What I what I mean is that I know there are some some people out there clearly because they put this on our television. This is kind of a random thought. I I want to make sure I get to it though. But you know, they showed Salvador Perez and his fielding percentage, and it was just this big prominently featured graphic on the television broadcast. And Salvador Perez was number one. I think the, the this was saying since like 2010 or 2011 or a long time. And it was like catcher, fielding percentage, leaders all time, or at least in the last 10. Maybe it was all time. Can't remember what it said because it was so irre- irrelevant. Uh, and Salvador Perez was number one and Buster Posey was number two. Now, why is it irrelevant, you might ask? Because fielding percentage, it is hard for me to think of a less relevant statistic in baseball than catcher fielding percentage or at least like a number that's less relevant compared to what else is at our disposal for evaluating a specific thing and so the issue with that is that what are the opportunities for catchers to impact the game how do catchers impact the game the number one thing that it is know it or not, is pitch framing, okay? It's it's getting called strikes on pitches that are borderline, basically. And so we have ways to evaluate this at this point, but certainly fielding percentage doesn't even remotely consider that. It's not, you could be the worst framer of all time. In fact, I could go back there and be a catcher and have a decent fielding percentage. In fact, I may be be able to convince you I could even have a 1,000 fielding percentage because Pass balls are not errors. So what do catchers do that impacts the game defensively? 
number one thing is framing. You're also talking about like leadership stuff and pitch calling, pitch blocking. But again, a a a, a non-executed block is a passed ball or a wild pitch. The pitchers get blamed. If it's in the dirt and it kicks off of you, the pitchers get blamed no matter what. If it hit the dirt, that's on the pitcher. It's called a wild pitch. And if it just like if I'm just sitting there with my glove up and it hits off my glove and goes to the backstop and I just completely whiffed on it, it's a pass ball, but that's not an error. So that does not show up in fielding percentage. So what are even my opportunities to make an error as a catcher? It's throws and like dropped pop-ups, which, you know, how often do pop-ups to the catcher happen? Not very often, sometimes, but certainly less often than like ground balls to infielders and also throws. As long as you, even if you like are a terrible guy at throwing people out on attempted steals, as long as like if they're safe all the time, that's not an error. Doesn't show up. It doesn't get factored into fielding percentage. So anyway, the most important thing though is the framing. And if you go to Baseball Savant, they you know they've got that strike zone you see on TV. That's like through Statcast, and so all of this data goes into Baseball Savant, and we can see when you're a catcher. What is the rate at which you get strikes on basically borderline pitches? We define it as the shadow zone. And it's like, I don't remember how many inches, but it's it's basically the borderline of the zone. In the zone, on the edge, and out. It's called the shadow zone. And so what is the rate at which you get called strikes on pitches that you catch in that area? That's called like framing runs added. And since... 2015, which is when StatCast first first went online, number one in baseball is Yasmani Grandal. Number two in baseball is Buster Posey. At I, I had it pulled up yesterday. I think it was like plus 60 runs since 2015. And remember, he didn't play in 2020. Excuse me. He didn't play in 2020, opted out, and didn't hasn't played this year. Dead last in all of baseball is Salvador Perez at, what was it, minus 77 runs that's a lot of runs we're talking since 2015 so we're talking over 10 runs per year that he's costing the royals with his framing okay and posey was more like plus 10 when he was out there per year so that's a 20 run per year swing and it's just a hundred percent disregarded by fielding percentage so i just think like it's 2022 we need to understand like what's going into evaluation and and i'm not i love crook and kipe like they belong in the hall of fame they're absolute legends they can say whatever they want but i just have to point out they said that salvador perez was a hall of fame candidate and that he was going to get serious consideration he's not there's just no chance he's he's not a good framer he hasn't been that good of a hitter he had a great home run hitting season last year but the no he's he's like Orders of magnitudes worse than Buster Posey was offensively and defensively. And fielding percentage doesn't tell that story. And so that something about that just irritates me when you prominently feature statistics that are irrelevant and that we have better ones and they just get ignored. So that's why I have a tiny little platform here. I mean, a lot of you listen, so it's not maybe tiny, but a a, a relatively small platform here with this podcast. So I'm going to take every opportunity to talk about these things when I think that something's going on and said that maybe isn't the most significant. It also means the Giants didn't play well today if we're spending uh, that long talking about that. But I do want to talk about more from this game. Luis Gonzalez just proved himself to be even more 
borderline indispensable. I'm I'm giving pause before I say he's indispensable because I think like with the the roster crunch I referenced, it has to do with Lamont Wade Jr. getting closer to returning. The captain, Brandon Belt, he returned for the middle game of the series. He pinch hit, got hit in the foot on the first pitch he saw back from the IL. And in a corresponding move, Donovan Walton was optioned. So they don't really have an obvious move to make when Lamont Wade Jr. is ready to come back. So coming up in just a second, we are going to broach the topic again. Is Luis Gonzalez a candidate to be optioned? Even though he's doing things like hitting all the time and throwing guys out, we're going to talk about the specifics from that throw and why it was actually, I mean, historic is a strong word, but it was one for the record books in in the history of the StatCast era for the Giants. We'll talk about why momentarily. But first, our next uh, partner has a product I use literally every day. I started taking AG1 because I wanted to see what all the hype was about. What is this stuff with one delicious scoop of AG1? You're absorbing... 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced whole food superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, immune system, energy recovery, focus, aging, all of the things. Uh, it's also lifestyle-friendly, whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free, and most importantly to me, contains less than one gram of sugar. So uh, right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No, no, no more need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash network. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash MLB network to take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your betting stats and sports info, period. Find all the latest sports developments, news, and odds, including this year's basketball championship matchup. I relish every opportunity I have to talk about that. Another amazing Warriors win. Steph Curry just was not good in this game and yet the Warriors supporting cast stepped up and so there's a lot of action you can look at including finals MVP maybe it's more of a conversation at this point with the game Curry had maybe he's about to go off in game six maybe we're going to get game six clay so check out all the action at bet online you can also check out NHL hockey conference finals action major league baseball and of course the latest fighting news from MMA UFC and boxing Bet Online is your continued source for all your sporting wagering information, including live betting, esports, and more. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet Online, where the game starts. All right, as promised, just some more to catch you up on. I want to talk about this Luis Gonzalez throw. If you didn't see it, it's worth rewatching. Man, that's another thing. I, for some reason, I've just been salty these last few days. I just am like, I've got my opinions and I'm ready to share them, which. Sometimes I like to keep them to myself, but sometimes I just, well, it's like, it's like a snowball rolling down a hill. Once I get going, I just, they all come out. So, I mean, I'm not fired up about the strike zone today, which is funny because I could be. I thought the zone was pretty bad today, although it helped the Giants and it hurt them. Bad strike three called a rough in the ninth inning leading off the inning. It was 
six inches below the strike zone on a curveball. So, it, man, I mean, that it was just not a strike. Strike three, one out in the inning. But the Giants, they didn't really deserve to win this game. They didn't play well. They didn't hit well. But the Luis Gonzalez throw is going to get me going on the camera angle thing. And some of you saw my tweet about the camera angle. But let's talk about the throw first. So Luis Gonzalez nails a guy at home. This was Logan Webb still on the mound. This is a whole story, too. Gabe Kapler left him in. He, uh, It was the seventh inning with two on and one out. Pitch count over 100. Kapler goes to the mound. Harleen Garcia warming up. Seems pretty clear they're going to take him out, but they do not take him out. Kapler talks to him. He said he just wanted to check in with him and see, make sure he was feeling good and that he was in a good place mentally, and he was. And Kapler, after the game, said that he also wanted to make sure Webb knew that this was a situation they were going to go to him for more than one more hitter. They had him facing multiple hitters still, which is really interesting and a little bit unorthodox for Kapler, a starter that deep into a game, over 100 pitches, guys on base, but Kapler said the stars were aligned in that situation and that Webb was going to keep going. But anyway, with two outs, he did give up a hit with two guys on to right field. And it looked like, okay, it's going to be, was it three to nothing at that point? I think it was three to nothing. So it's going to be three to one. Run's going to score. There's still going to be guys on base and maybe you take him out at that point. But what happened was Luis Gonzalez came up firing through a ball 97.4 miles an hour from right field to home and Austin wins behind the plate on the backhand digs out a tough hop and then he has to turn to his left and get the glove in front of the plate there was a play not to bury him kick him while he's down but Joey Bart like waited for the runner to come to his glove and the guy honestly scored and they called him out and they reviewed it and they still called him out they upheld it but he was safe because Bart didn't like get the glove to the legs. He didn't aggressively try to tag him before he just kind of like held his glove there and let the guy come to him. When you got, if you're the catcher, you got to go after that guy's legs as he's sliding in. Can't run the risk of them sneaking that leg in before you get the tag down. So Austin Wins did no such thing after making an incredibly difficult backhanded pick out of the dirt. Uh, spins, turns, sticks his glove into the lane of the runner which you're very much allowed to do once you have the ball. It's not about there's you're allowed to block the plate once you have the ball. And he did with his glove and and got the tag on the guy's legs just before he was able to come in and cross the plate. And so a great play by Wins, but obviously also a great throw from Luis Gonzalez. And what's noteworthy about this, maybe not historic as I said earlier, but very much noteworthy is that it's Again, since 2015, which is when the StatCast thing went live and we started to get data on everything, you can see how hard an outfielder threw the ball, just how hard anybody on your on your field who's not the pitcher or the pitcher throws the ball, like on an assist. And for the Giants, it was the second hardest throw from an outfielder on an assist since StatCast went live. And the, the hardest throw was Austin Slater, July 24th, 2018, Somehow he threw a ball 99.6 miles an hour. and But for Gonzalez, it was the second hardest at 97.4. Giants haven't had a ton of great assist arms, but Gonzalez, he's got a good arm. He was a pitcher and, and a hitter in college. And we've obviously seen him pitch for the Giants this year, although his specialty pitch is like a 38 mile an hour EFIS. But anyway, 
I do just have to point out, like, it's not apples to apples comparing these throws and their velocities to pitchers because the pitchers don't have a running start like that. So if you have a guy who throws high 90s as a pitcher and you let them get a running start with momentum, all their body's momentum, like, into the throw, they're going to throw harder than that. So it's very impressive. But I just have to point out, it doesn't mean he could throw 97 off a mound because he wouldn't get a running start. But anyway... He's making himself like he's just doing things that to help the team win each and every day. And the question is, what do they do when Lamont Wade Jr. comes back? Because there are only three possibilities as I see it right now. If everything else was as it is and no new injuries crop up, you either put somebody on the injured list like Tommy LaStella or Evan Longoria who have not really been able to play the field lately. And that's a detriment to your team. And you want to have guys who are able to be more productive on offense and on defense i don't think they want just set dh guys they want their dh to be rotated through and that everyone contributes defensively because it hurts your value if you don't have any defensive value and so that's the case right now with la Stella, except he played he started at first base today so maybe not so that makes it more complicated evan longoria hasn't been able to play the field so i think if they had to make the decision today one of those guys might be the move just to buy them some time but they have to stay on the injured list for at least 10 days. The other possibility is to option a pitcher or to put a pitcher on the injured list, but optioning a guy would make more sense, like Mauricio Llovera, potentially. But the issue is that would leave you with 12 pitchers. And just historically, they do not like to go with 12 pitchers. And more specifically, they want to go with as many pitchers as possible because you have to use them and and they just don't want 12 pitchers for any kind of extended period of time in a short-term situation, maybe, but they're not going to stick with that. And so that's not really a long-term solution. And then the third possibility is that somebody from the position player gets a side gets optioned. And the only guys on the position player side who can be optioned are Luis Gonzalez, Mike Yastrzemski and Austin Slater. Some people say it's an easy call option, Austin Slater. No, it's not easy. And that's not going to happen because He's one of the few guys who, like, when they're facing a lefty, he is a key part of that lineup. And so, I mean, I guess you could say that Gonzalez is too. But if Wade is coming back, you've got Jock Peterson, you've got Mike Yastrzemski, and you've got Lamont Wade. So you can kind of make a full outfield of players who fill that same kind of role. Whereas with Slater, there's not other guys on the roster who do that. And so to me, he's more indispensable even, believe it or not. And he plays great defense. Somebody said he was terrible in center field or just a terrible defender in general. That is completely not true. He is one of the better defenders they have and a legitimately good defensive center fielder. So I think the the decision for now would look like an IL for me, for a position player, Lestella or Longoria. It can't be a catcher because you need at least two and they only have two on the roster. So it's going to be tough. And Wade is supposed to start a rehab assignment this weekend. So we'll see. It is something to start paying attention to, though. I guess I don't really have time to get into my soapbox about camera angles. I'll just quickly say it. Number one, when there's an outfield throw, stop showing the runner running towards home as a cutaway shot. Just show we never get to see throws from the outfield because they cut to the runner like who's steaming down the line. If you if you show the high home angle, you can see the runner coming in as the throw's coming in. Why do we go? We cut away so you don't see the throw. Imagine if on an infield play, as soon as the infielder's about to make a strong throw, they cut to the guy running up the first baseline. 
No, you want to see the throw. So show me the throw. We didn't get to see Luis Gonzalez's throw in real time because we were just seeing a runner run. I want to see the throw. And there was a whole article written about this that it continues to be referenced, and I completely agree. Number two, the camera shot behind home plate where you just see the umpire's backside and you can't even see the catcher is one of the worst camera angles in baseball for a live pitch shot. Fine for a replay of a pitch. If you want to get your pitching ninja highlight, fine. Go for it. But a live shot, we need to like start a petition because it is unwatchable pretty much. It, it You can't see the swing. You can't see... It doesn't do a good job of showing the quality of the pitch. I'm sorry, but those it doesn't look like it looks in the box. I know it like supposedly does, but it's so much it's a thousand times nastier if you're actually standing in the box and you can see the shape better from behind the pitcher. And you can't see the swing. I think I already said that. You can't see the location of the pitch. There are so many problems with it, so I just had to get that out there. Start a petition. Let's do it. Okay, anyway, that is all the time we have for today. Coming up tomorrow, we're going to be getting to a mailbag. So look out tonight on Wednesday for the prompt and ask away. And we'll, we'll get to those questions tomorrow before the Giants head to Pittsburgh and Atlanta for this road trip. Once again, my name is Ben Kaspik. Check me out on Twitter at Ben Kaspik, K-A-S-P-I-C-K. If you like this show, please consider rating it or leaving a review. Helps me out a lot. So thanks in advance and thank you to everyone who's done so already. I can't wait to be with you again tomorrow. Thanks again for listening. Stay Locked on Giants.